everybody. Welcome to episode four of We Effed Up. I am Teresa. I'm Cody. And today, I think Cody said we're going to talk about why majority rules. Is that right? Yes. Uh, specifically, Woodrow Wilson and the racial equality proposal at the Paris Peace Conference in 1919. This sounds terrible already. Oh, Yes. And I know from our brief visit to the Buffalo Soldier Home in Springfield? Is it in Springfield? Uh, Wilberforce. W- w- yeah, Wilberforce. In Wilberforce that he was terribly racist and super unfair to oh, African Americans. Yeah. Well, 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 I'll give you some examples. But just... Okay. All right. So, for a little bit of background, um, this is right after World War I. Uh, it had ended in November 1918. With mm-hmm. the Allied powers defeating the Central Powers, so like United States, France, Italy, uh, UK, on the Allied powers, along with other countries, uh-huh. Central Powers like Germany, Austria-Hungary, Bulgaria, Ottoman Empire. Uh, the devastation of the war had led to the disintegration of several empires. Okay, like the Ottoman Empire, they're not a thing anymore. Right. Austria-Hungary, not a thing anymore. German Empire. Their empire's gone. Like Germany's still there, but their empire's gone. Right. Russia, its empire collapses, and they're in a civil war at this point. So, and many smaller, more ethnic states uh-huh. had to take their places. So, like, like Austria, the example of Austria-Hungary, it had like a very multinational empire. Uh huh. It wasn't just like you know Austrians and Hungarians. It was also Croatians, also some Poles, some Czechs, Slovaks, Slovenes, Croats, Serbs, like all these. Like you know, rainbow coalition of of uh, okay. uh, peoples, sure, and they all get their own states after the war. Okay, because they all like uh, want to rule themselves and not be ruled by Austrians. Sure. Uh, so, and the disposition of these lands necessitated a peace conference to decide these matters. Okay, so, like where where are these borders set? Who's getting what land? I see. Uh, what peoples are being put, or you know, are going to go to this country, like that kind of thing. So they had to decide the broad strokes. Yes. Then. Okay. And so the Paris Peace Conference began work in January 1919. It makes sense because you don't want those places that have already been destabilized to descend into further war and civil war. Yeah. So. yeah. Okay. Um, the At the Peace Conference, like I said, there were numerous Allied powers, but the big four, and they were called the big four, were France, which was represented by their Prime Minister, uh, Georges Clemenceau. So they had a Prime Minister then? Not yes. a President? They both. Okay. Yeah. Do um, they still? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Their, the makeup of their government has changed over the years. but Okay. Yeah. Uh, Italy, from uh, represented by Prime Minister Vittorio Orlando. Okay. United Kingdom, represented by their Prime Minister, David Lloyd George. And the United States, which was represented by President Woodrow Wilson. Okay. All right. Uh, for a little bit of background on Wilson... Uh, he had been born in Staunton, Virginia in December 1856. He was the last U.S. president to have been born before the Civil War. Okay, I was just about to bring that up. Yes. Okay. Uh, his father was a Presbyterian minister from Ohio, mm-hmm. but he had Southern sympathies. Ah. Uh, so he moved to the South, and later on, uh, after Wilson was born, not, not long after he was born, they moved to Augusta, Georgia. 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 Okay. And, of course, his Southern upbringing... Kind of informed Wilson's racist views later of course. in life. Sure. Um, he attended Davidson College and later Princeton University in the 1870s. And Princeton was like kind of his first exposure to the North. Ah, Because Princeton see. is in New Jersey, of course. Sure. Uh, 
this isn't important, but it's just a little side story that I thought was just like, this is just weird enough. I had to put it in here. He had a crush on his cousin. And Ugh. I don't mean a distant cousin. I mean like his first cousin. Ugh. Ew. A, like a fellow grandchild of his grandparents. Uh, her name was Hattie Woodrow, because like at this time, you know, you gave your kids your the mom's maiden name. Like sure. Woodrow Wilson's name was actually Thomas Woodrow Wilson. Oh, okay. And he was a child. He's called Tommy. Oh, okay. But he went by Woodrow Wilson later in life. Okay. Uh, but she understandably rejected him. Yeah. We're, we're cousins. Yeah. Like okay, it's um, gross though. Yeah, and she was also in a relationship at this time. Okay. So again, understandably rejected him. He's like, she's like, first of all. You're a creep. Second of all, yeah. you're an incestual creep. Yeah, and he was big salty about it. Like, Ooh. like he's like, well, she she clear like she clearly doesn't you know know basically you know a good man basically like <laughs> like Woodrow Wilson like he might have been the first incel. I was just about to say that <laughs> he's an incel. Yeah, he, before incels knew what incels yeah. were, he was an incel. He was. Wow. He he was a nice guy. Ugh. <laughs> God. Uh. Why doesn't she like me? Well, I'm first, the nicest because, guy ever. Because you're her cousin. <laughs> yeah, that that's the first strike. She could be that, that he, strikes one, two, and three against you. He could have been the nicest dude on earth, and she's like, bro. No, cousin. you're yeah. <laughs> oh, no, cuz yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Your dad and my or your mom and my dad or whatever are related. Our like, grandpa- they're, they're we have brother. the same grandparents. Yeah, we have the same grandparents. Ugh. Our our parents are brother and sister. Gross. Um, Woodrow Wilson. Already gross. Anyway, yeah, yeah. So he, he gets over it, though, and begins a law education at the University of Virginia. Okay. So he leaves Princeton? Well, he, he graduates, to... but... um. Oh, okay. But he goes to pursue law. It's weird, because college is not the same then no, as no. it is now. Uh, well, college is a big part of his life. Okay. Um, because he doesn't have much success as a lawyer, so he decides to become a college professor. <laughs> if you can't succeed at whatever it is yep. that you studied in college, go teach it. Yeah. Um... <laughs> he gets married in April 1883 to Ellen Axon. Not his cousin. No, not okay. his cousin. Uh, he publishes several papers on books and government, like how to reform it, how to, you know, kind of make it better. Wow, it sounds boring. Uh, and he was awarded a PhD in May 1886, and to this day, he's the only president to have gotten a PhD. In what? Uh, I think it was just like education. Oh, okay. Uh, I don't recall. So well, technically... I mean, I mean, a PhD is like, you know, a philosophy degree. Sure, sure. So it's... I mean, really, there's only like three or four different types of doctorate. But so he's like Doctor President Woodrow Wilson, President Doctor. I wonder how and that nobody goes. called him that. But I mean, I wonder who how that would go because you have with last episode we had General Bishop Polk. That was just me. Oh. I don't. Yeah, he was never actually called General Bishop. I just put the I just mashed them together because it sounded ridiculous. President Woodrow Wilson, comma. I guess you space. could just say President Woodrow Wilson, PhD. Yeah, that's what I was just yeah. about to say. So. You took the words right out of my mouth because you interrupted me. Anyways, no, no. So I'm. I apologize. No, you don't. No. Um. Uh, he begins teaching at Princeton in 1890. Okay. Uh, so he goes went back. Yeah, he went back and. It was very successful there because he was appointed president of Princeton University in October of 1902. So he's now running the whole place. I did not even know that he was president of them. Yes. That. Um, and he, uh, one of the things he would do, he, he, he discouraged uh, black people from attending Princeton. Because Woodrow Wilson, big racist. But we'll get into that here in a moment. But he, he was also kind of like passively racist, which now we know is still active racism. Where he would say things like, oh, well, black students can't be among white students because white students would never 
be able to thrive. Yeah. Or black students would never be able to concentrate because the white people would never let them concentrate like what he did with... I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll, get, I'll get into that. Okay. Um, he, he, and he was elected governor of New Jersey in November of 1910. Okay. Uh, and he used that as a platform to be elected president in November 1912, in a th- which, mind you, in a three-way race. But yeah, uh, 1912, like because the Republican vote was split between Theodore Roosevelt and William Howard Taft... Oh, okay. That was that election, and basically Woodrow Wilson wins. He only wow. win, he only gets elected president with like forty five percent of the popular vote. Wow, you know, because everybody was split between yeah, Taft yeah, and yeah, Roosevelt. Yeah, but he still won a majority in the electoral college. Oh, okay. We don't know what that's like nowadays. Nope, never no, happened. Never had that. Never hasn't happened since. Nope. Um, he was the first Southerner. I mean, even though he was elected from New Jersey, mm-hmm. he was born and raised in the South. He's the first sure. Southerner that had been elected since eighteen forty eight. So wow. since before the Civil War. Okay. Um, while he was in office, uh, his wife Ellen died in August of 1914. Not his cousin. Not his cousin. Okay. And he married uh, Edith Bowling in December 1915. Okay. Also not his cousin. Okay. Uh, a couple of things that happened under his presidency. The Federal Reserve System was established. Okay. So probably a lot of uh, anti-IRS people hate him. Because <laughs> also the income tax was instituted at this time. Oh. Permanently. Well, this uh, like is. It was like the 16th or 17th Amendment. This is right around the time of the Great Depression, right? No, this is like uh, about 15 years before that. But something, there's a recession that happens then, right? And that's why they have to institute the income tax. No. Okay. No, I, I don't. I, I don't recall offhand why they did it, but okay. Because um, most of the time, the government its revenues were coming from like, like, uh, like whiskey taxes. Oh, you know what? I'm thinking of social security income. You are okay. Um, it's coming from like import, like uh, tariffs and that kind of thing. So they need more money. Yes. They, and they're also, like, and also like money. they realize like if prohibition goes through, we're going to lose all that whiskey tax money. Okay. Or, or all the boo- uh, various booze taxes. But what was the percentage of this income tax? I, you know, I, I don't. It's probably it, pretty. It, it varied. It's pretty low though, probably. I, I don't know offhand. Okay. It's not relevant to the story, but. Um, he was reelected in 1916 uh, on a promise to stay out of World War One. Okay. Which is funny because a month after he was sworn in, the U.S. entered World War One. Oh boy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so first, he's the first president and the only president to ever lie and break a, a campaign promise, right? The only one. <laughs> yes. The only one. The the dry face. Hmm. The dry yeah. face that you're coming up with. Yeah. Obviously, sarcasm. Yes. Uh. After the war, he became the first U- uh, sitting U.S. president to visit Europe. Okay. During the Paris Peace Conference. It's, Ooh, the, really? Okay. Yeah. All the way in the 1900s. Yeah. The, the, first... the first, the first one, to, like the first sitting president to leave the country, had been Theodore Roosevelt when he visited Panama. Wow. Uh, to see, like you know, the construction of the Panama Canal. So before or after they had left the country? Oh yeah, like, like okay. Grant went on a worldwide tour okay. after his presidency. Van Buren went to Europe. Okay. I but mean, this I mean, is I mean, while they were in... Yeah, I mean, Adams and Jefferson went to Europe before, like, during Obviously. the Revolution. Right. So, so, like, you know, of course, several of them went, like, before and after, but they had never left, like, while they were president, before Roosevelt. So interesting, because now so much of a president's job is diplomacy in that way. Visiting yeah. other countries well, also, and things. a lot harder. A lot harder sure, right. Them, probably so. had to go by boat. Yeah. He had to go by boat, because yes. there's no airplanes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's airplanes. I amended yeah. what I said. Yeah, there's no... Uh, Transatlantic airplane. Yes, I see. I see. So. I got it. I'm. Uh, sh- don't stop it. Uh, and I'm gonna go off on a little bit of a side note here because we need to talk about 
uh, Woodrow Wilson's racism. Ugh, okay. So some of the things that he did, he resegregated the federal bureaucracy. It started like become unsegregated under like Roosevelt and Taft. Like you, know, like, you had black and white people working together. Uh, gr- like Grant, like uh, his his first commissioner of Indian Affairs was an Indian. Uh, so Native like, American, kind of, yeah, or, well, yeah. yeah, at the um, time Indian, but yes. now Native American. Yeah. Um, so he starts to re- Wilson starts to resegregate it. Why would you do that? Because he's racist, Teresa. But it's, once again, I'm sure it's one of those instances where he's like, well, I'm not racist. I'm just looking out for everybody to mm. make sure that everybody is the most oh, productive. Yeah. Well, I have a quote here for it. Uh, and some other people would complain about this. And he told them, quote, segregation is not humiliating, but a benefit and ought to be so regarded by you gentlemen, end quote. Yeah. Uh, he fired many black employees and... Um, the government required photographs to be submitted with job applications to the federal oh. government because so they could see if you're black or white. Wow. Yes. Uh, he re- refused to appoint black ambassadors to Haiti and the Dominican Republic, which had been a custom uh-huh. at this time since the Civil War. Well, why well, wouldn't he? Because he, he's racist, okay. Teresa. All right. All right. Sorry. Sorry. I, I know I'm asking these questions in an incredulous way. Uh, there's no reason to ask no, them that way because no. he's racist. He's I racist. know the That's reason. How many times it's going to be? Because he's racist. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, like uh, I think it was Grant. He appointed like Frederick Douglass was ambassador to Haiti at one of point. Of course. So yeah. you know, so it's like it was a custom like appoint a black ambassador to these countries because you know, this is these are predominantly black countries. Yeah. And, and uh, this kind of hurts me to my core a little bit. Is because Woodrow Wilson was a history professor. Ah. Yeah, he uh, supported probably what I will say is one of the most cancerous things ever to exist in American history, the Lost Cause myth. Okay. Which is where basically this ridiculous notion that the Confederacy was fighting for a noble cause, and even though they were doomed from the start because, you know, they couldn't defeat the power of corrupt northern businessmen and abolitionists and you know that sort of thing you know they, they, they were they were always doomed from the start and you know but they were still they were noble and honorable and it's a bunch of bullshit <laughs> yeah so he was one of the supporters of that wow. uh, which is reason enough to hate his guts um and he wrote a text he called a professor writes textbooks he wrote one called a history of the american people in it, Wilson said, quote, the white men of the... This is regarding the Reconstruction era. Okay. He, Wilson said, quote, the white men of the South were roused by the mere instinct of self-preservation. Until at last there had sprung into existence a great Ku Klux Klan, a veritable empire of the South to protect the Southern country. What? End quote. What? This is in a history textbook he wrote. It's because he's a racist, Tracy. Which was actually used... Uh, as a, because it's a silent film, of course they have the quote cards in A Birth of a Nation. Okay. So like, he, like D.W. Griffith was directly quoting Woodrow Wilson, and of course that film was later shown at the White House, and Wilson approved of it. So, he's venerating the Ku Klux Klan in he, they this were, history They book? were defenders of Southern rights, Teresa. Wow. Yes. So, and it just sprung together. They're, they were so inspired by the fact that they had to preserve their way of life mm-hmm. that the Ku Klux Klan just sprung into existence. Yeah. Okay. 
to light grasses on fire and lynch black people. That seems like it didn't just whatever it takes to protect the way of life. Yeah, it's. I don't even really like talking about this sarcastically. It feels disgusting. And one more quote from him on black suffrage. Oh God. Okay. Quote: It was a menace to society itself that the. Is it Negro? Yes. Yeah, you okay. can I didn't, say... I, can... Didn't, I didn't know if that felt good. Well, it's a quote. So. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It, I, it was a menace I, to society itself that the Negroes should thus of a sudden be set free and left without tutelage or restraint. End quote. Wow. Okay, so... So, as, at first I was thinking, okay, this is like passive racism. Because <laughs> when we learned about the Buffalo Soldiers and Charles Young... Yeah. When we learned about Charles Young... One of the reasons he said that Charles Young couldn't be a general, right, in the military, in the army, he said Charles Young, who was, he was a man who rode from um, Wilberforce to Washington, D.C. to prove that he could still be a general, because Woodrow Wilson had forced a doctor to give him an honorary discharge from the military, so he couldn't be a general in, um, what war is it? World World War War I? Okay, so he couldn't be a a general in World War I. And he said the reason why is because white soldiers would never respect and take command from a black general. Yeah. And so that's why he forced Young to go and and go to the doctor and get an honorable discharge out of the military. When in reality, he was completely fit for combat. Mm-hmm. He wanted to participate in World War One. He wanted to be a general. And later he was allowed to be a general. However, it was during peacetime. So yep. he, he had a diplomatic mission to Africa, right? Yeah. Okay, so uh, and so at that time, I'm thinking this sounds like passive racism, which is still a form of active racism, but where he's like, no, this is best for everybody. That I'm not taking anything from somebody. I'm making sure that everything is equal, but separate. It's mm-hmm. like the separate but equal thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, this dude is an active like he was considered racist in like in the time itself. So he's just garbage. Somehow yeah. he is a. Well, he convinced, like, in 1912, he convinced, like, you know, like W.B. Dubois, uh-huh. like, he he convinced him, like, oh, you know, I'm going to protect, you know, black rights and that kind of thing once he was elected. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's crazy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, something else he did, he ref- during World War I, uh, he refused to allow uh, black American troops and white American troops to fight side by side. He basically said, okay, black troops, you can fight. But you have to fight under the French command because the French don't. The French don't mind you. Wow! So he basically like reversed United States history by fifty years, sixty yeah. years. Like like the like there were like specific black units like they weren't like sure. in, fully integrated. They wouldn't be fully integrated until after World War Two. Um, yeah, yeah. But they um, couldn't fight together. Yeah, they couldn't even fight together in the same like theater like area of the front. Wow. They and, and they, you know, inevitably, the reason for that is so that they could strategically place black forces in places that were either less important or places where they were going to mm-hmm. have higher casualties. Yep. Wow. Okay. So, yeah. just entire piece of shit. Just complete, specific, purposeful harm to black bodies. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what he was doing. Yeah. He didn't care about them. He still had that ingrained oh. in his brain that mm-hmm. they were less than not the same species as him, yep. that he knew better. Wow. Yep. What a garbage man. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Yeah. Someone saw garbage men like that. Yeah, you're oh, right. Here's you're a right. picture of the big four. Uh, <clears throat> that's, you know, it's, it's 
That's Lloyd George from Britain. That's Orlando from Italy. That's Clemenceau from France. Bill Walrus mustache. <laughs> uh, and that's Wilson. Yeah. Uh, I know Wilson's then, big old jaw. Uh, and there's Wilson himself. Yeah. Uh, so, back to the main narrative or story here. Uh, so that's a little bit of Wilson. Uh, him and the remainder of the Big Four, they made all the major decisions. They didn't really consult with the other powers. I was going to say, were there leaders from other parts oh, of the yeah. world there? Oh, oh yeah, like, you know, you had, uh, like, Portugal and Greece and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Belgium. You had all these other countries that took a, take a part, mm-hmm. including Japan. Okay. Uh, Japan was considered, like, quote-unquote, the fifth power. Like, you had the Big Four. They were, like, the fifth one. Okay. Like, and they wanted equal standing with the Big Four. Mm-hmm. We'll get into that, why they weren't. Uh, but Japan, they had entered the war at the request of the British uh, shortly after it started. Okay. Because uh, at this time, Germany had uh, some colonies in the Pacific. They had some islands. Okay. Uh, they controlled part of, like, what was today, Papua New Guinea. Um, Interesting. I did not know that. And, and uh, they had some areas in China. Like, a lot of the countries owned, like, uh, controlled areas in China at this time. Like, like cities or had certain rights in China. Okay, wow. And the British basically wanted Japan, like, hey, Japan, go clean these up for us. Because we need to focus on Europe. And Japan was like, okay, that's fine. Wow. Um, they took the German colonies uh, in Pacific and China early on in the war. They sent naval support to Europe. Um, supplies. And they deployed troops in the Russian Far East after the, the Russian Revolution, the Civil War broke out. Okay. Uh, and the Japanese economy and their supplies kind of bolstered the Allies during the last months of the war. So, like, okay. Japan, like, early on, yeah, very, you know, fighting, uh, taking these colonies, but later on, much more like a supply. Uh, sure. But, but you know, Supportive. Very, but very important. Sure. Um, so, Japan, uh, by this point, uh, the past uh, 50 years have been very transformative for the country. Okay. Uh, they had been unified first under the, under the Tokugawa shogunate in the 17th century. I think I know about that. Like the shoguns and that yeah, kind yeah. of thing. Um, they were, they'd closed the country to foreigners until the mid-19th century. Wow. Uh, there were a few random ones. Like, there were stories of, like, an English samurai. Right. Um, the last samurai. That's not that. That's completely different. Tom Cruise? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Sorry. The, no, I, I look into it. I, I, his name was William... I can't remember his last name offhand, but there was actually an actual Englishman who served as a samurai. There's also a, a black African who had served as, who had been a samurai. Yeah, yeah. So it's like you had like a couple scattered people show up, but like, but um, it was starting to be opened up in the mid 19th century. In 1853, the U.S. had sent a fleet under, and I know when he's going to say something under Commodore Matthew Perry, not Chandler Bing. Um. No, he's too drunk. <laughs> he can uh, never be a Commodore. They just sent a fleet into Tokyo Bay like, hey, open up. Oh. Knock, knock. <laughs> We're coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, then the Civil War happened and they couldn't come. So, oh. Um, so, so, but like, um, but this kind of initiated process of Japan and slowly opening up, uh, more Western influences start coming in. Uh, the Tokugawa Shogunate, uh, it actually ended upon uh-huh. the restoration of power to the Emperor in November 1867. Uh, the Emperor, by this point, is largely a figurehead. Okay. But he kind of retook power. Like the Queen. Uh, yeah. Um, and then, but, um, he instituted, uh, he's called the Meiji Emperor. Okay. He instituted several reforms, including, like, a Western-style government, including, like, giving up some of his own power. Okay. Interesting. Um, but, like... Like very Western style, like a, like a, a 
Congress. Okay. Um, that sort of thing. Um, sure. Interesting that it, he would be so forward thinking to think, be like, yeah. no, in order for our country to succeed, I well, need to Well, he saw it, how advanced these other countries were. He also saw what was happening in China. Yeah, I guess if you so, close off for like two centuries and then yeah. you open back up, you're like, oh, he, dang. he saw like what was really happening in China. He didn't want that. What so, was happening in China? It was like a lot of the foreign, like uh, the European powers were like basically carving it up like into spheres oh, of influence. right, right, right. Okay. Germany uh, had the parts, sorry. Yeah, like cool. Britain. Britain took Hong Kong. Right. Portugal took Macau, like that kind of, that type of thing. That's um, interesting. I guess I just never yeah. think about that. Okay. Um, and so Japanese society began to be heavily influenced by the West, and especially in military tactics and technology. Like the, they, like they really like started to like, hey, we need to get our act together if we want to keep up with everybody else. It's interesting because they still are kind of like that. Like a lot of Japanese culture has flooded into Western culture mm-hmm. now, but the same thing, they really love to to implement parts of western culture in baseball. japanese cultural baseball they love to speak english mm. with with folks and that there i don't think there's anything wrong with that they just mm. want to like embrace that western culture but i think that that's a a um trait that yeah. still persists even today although on maybe a more it's superficial much more level. of a two-way street nowadays than yeah it was on a super in a superficial y- level yeah, not yeah. in like government because yeah. japan doesn't want anything to do with what's happening over here i'm pretty sure i don't think anybody would um, <laughs> yeah uh, Japan had been forced into several like unequal treaties, which is what like what, what like what China had. Okay. Um, but they had thrown them off by the 20th century, and they'd really come a long way because they defeat Russia in the Russo-Japanese War in 1904 and 1905. Wow. Okay. Like which really kind of shakes up everything because it basically destroys Russia's entire navy. It actually leads to a revolution in Russia. Wow. In, not not like. The Russian Revolution. Not like, not like, like the Lenin, killing like Lenin of... and the Bolshevik. Not like that. Okay. Yeah, we're not there yet. But um, the Tsar has... It's a point where the Tsar has to institute some reforms. Okay. Um, but this, like, kind of shocks the world. Because, like... They're like, uh, Japan is tiny. Russia's gigantic. Uh, yeah. And Russia's European. Right. And this little Asian country beat Russia. Beat and European. they've been an empire. And mm-hmm. this island somehow defeated them. Yeah. Uh, so Japan, and they start building their own colonial empire, kind of like after the Western powers. They okay. take Taiwan in 1895. They take all of Korea in 1910. Oh, and I were, didn't know that. They were looking to expand. Okay. Uh, but their treatment at the peace conference kind of foreshadowed trouble. Ah. Uh, Japan had been excluded from the Big Four with the kind of lame excuse that they hadn't sent their prime minister, like their leader. They just, sent, but they had an important delegation. Like, uh, we'll get into who's in it. Okay. Here in a minute. Like, they had sent one of their princes. Um, <laughs> so, like, so a, like, like a bunch of like qualified people. You can't be a big player because you didn't send anybody important. That's what they said. That was their excuse, but okay. really is because like, well, racism. Sure. Yeah. Sure. But, big, but this country that had played a really significant role is not getting treated fairly. Correct. Uh, Clemenceau, the French prime minister, had actually stated, <laughs> "Quote." There are blonde women in the world, and we stay closed up here with these Japanese who are so ugly. Wow. <laughs> End quote. Damn. Okay. What the hell? Clemenceau was a, clearly a womanizer. He's, he's like... He's French. Uh, Cody. <laughs> Damn it. You can't say stuff You're like that. everybody. <laughs> I don't want to be a part of a podcast where <laughs> folks are getting alienated. <laughs> I'm sorry. You have to you have to not say stuff like that. We're gonna yeah, cut it out. Yeah. Okay, so Clemenceau <laughs> 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 Clemenceau 
Clemenceau clearly was a misogynist oh, and he, racist yeah, also. Yeah. yeah. And he was okay. also, yeah, I think he was also like 80 years old at this point, so also very Saint, stuck in his Yeah, ways, and yeah. senile, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. What a jerk. Um, so, uh, the main, or at least relevant member to this discussion of the Japanese delegation, his name was Makino Nobuaki. Okay. Uh, he'd been born in 1861 into the samurai class. Which okay. Samurai class, like, of course, you know, like the traditional, uh-huh. like, you know, uh, role of the samurai, the outfit, and right. that kind of thing. They were, like, the high up in the society. Sure. Uh, his father was actually instrumental in the founding of modern Japan. Uh, so, again, nepotism. Cool. So, of course, Makino Nobuaki is also going to be important. Okay. Uh, he'd served in various cabinet positions before before joining the delegation of Paris. He'd been the foreign minister, okay. was like the secretary of state. So well qualified. Uh, yeah, yeah. So he, he he knew what he was doing. Um. So, uh, da, 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 da. a couple other people uh, you need to be aware of. Um, one is uh, Billy Hughes. Uh, he was the prime minister of Australia. Wow, his name uh, makes him sound like a cowboy. <laughs> Uh, Australia this time, yeah, kind of. The Wild West, yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. And uh, keep in mind, like, the British Empire at this time, um, it kind of just had one delegation, but it was also, but it was, like, the UK, Australia, New Zealand, Canada. Right. Uh, South Africa. Um, so, like, all their big dominions, like, mm-hmm. it was all just, like, they were, they were just were one delegation at the conference, because they weren't really s- separate countries yet. Like, they were... Sure. They were self-governing, but not really entirely separate. Like, not as separate as they would be. Like, okay. Like, like they are today. Sure. But, um, Hughes, he'd been born in uh, September 1862. Mm-hmm. So, again, like, all these people are kind of relatively around the same age. Okay. Um, he'd uh, been in, in Australia? He was born in Australia? He was born in the UK, but he okay. went to Australia. Transplant. Yeah. Okay. Um, he was involved with organized labor movements in Australia. Okay. Uh, Unionizing. Of, yes. Okay. Uh, he... Had been in the parliament. He was elected to the parliament in uh, the early 1900s. Okay. Um, he became the prime minister in October of 1915. So during the war. Okay. Um, he was an adherent of the White Australia policy. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't. Do I even need to explain it? What's so much worse <laughs> is that Australia has indigenous people that live there. Yeah. That are not white. Yeah. That's garbage. Well, the idea was to forbid non-whites from immigrating to Australia. Okay. But when you other anybody, yes, I, you're I, going I to other indigenous people, oh, yeah. too. Well, I mean, I'm sure they were uh, excluded from... I mean, and they're or, or, also yeah. still treated like garbage. Uh, yeah, but so. like, like this was like mainly like, no more non-white people, only white people come to Australia. Because it's for white people. Wow. Yeah, that okay. kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and let me show you a picture here. Uh, that's Billy Hughes. Okay. Yeah. He looks very British. Yeah. Um, that's a picture of the whole delegation. Uh, that's uh, Makina Nabuaki right there. Okay. Uh, that's like the prince guy they sent. Uh-huh. Um, uh, the last person you can't really kind of know, his name is Robert Cecil. Okay. Do you want to guess what country he's from with the name Robert Cecil? No. From Britain. Oh. Okay. <laughs> uh, he'd been born in September 1864. So. Okay. Um, another instance of nepotism. He was the son of a previous prime minister, the Marquess of Salisbury. <laughs> That's made up. Pillow, Salisbury. I mean, it's a British title. They're all kind of made up. 
Marquess of Salisbury. Yeah. I will not apologize to British nobility for that because your titles are pretty much made up. That's Question. true. Is that where Salisbury State comes from? <laughs> I don't know, but probably. I mean, the sandwiches, sandwiches come from the Earl of Sandwich, so um, he'd been elected to Parliament in uh, January 1906. Uh, he was a supporter of something that Wilson had proposed called the League of Nations. Mm-hmm, I've heard of that. Yeah, um, well, I'll get into that in a little bit. Um, <laughs> you know what? At first I was like, did I mess that up with League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? No. No. I've heard of the League of Nations. Yeah. I, I have. It's He's not, not Alan Quartermain. Oh. Are you sure? Because Alan Quartermain's sure. cool. League of Qu- Extraordinary Gentlemen's actually pretty dope. <laughs> uh, Cecil, he had, he had to kind of manage all these competing interests from, like, Canada, Australia, New Zealand. Oh, my God. Yeah. So wow. He had, he had to manage all this. Um Let's see, let me show you a picture of old Cecil. That's Cecil. Oh, hello, Cecil. Yeah. He looks like he'd be in a movie. Maybe he's on Downton Abbey. That's that time, so. (laughs) So, all that. So, now we have the major players introduced. Uh, Wilson, during the conference, he was under pressure to kind of be tough with Japan. Okay. Well, at home, because they were seen as a rising rival in the Pacific. Okay. Um, Also... uh, you had elements in the United States who did not want any more Japanese immigration. They'd already banned Chinese immigration at this point. They didn't want any Japanese immigration either. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and other Pacific countries have begun to limit Japanese immigration. So just like normal, America is introducing racist policies. Yeah. The 1910s and 20s, uh, yeah, like America was really becoming more insular. But... So somehow I thought that this was just going to be racism against black people. This isn't even racism against black people in the no, F-Dep no, part. No, this is no. racism against Japanese people. Yeah. Wow, okay. Yeah. All right, well. I was like, okay, well, yeah, he's racist against black people. We'll talk about that because that's he's effing up. Yep. Nope, this is new, different, well, not new racism, yeah. but it's a different brand of racism. Yeah. Uh, Makino, he introduced a proposal to the League of Nations Charter that would put members on racial equal footing. Okay. Uh, actually, did I actually explain what the League of Nations was? Mm-mm. No. Okay. No. League of Nations. Um, Wilson had introduced uh, something called the Fourteen Points, mm-hmm. which was kind of his post-war plan. Okay. Uh, a lot of it was like, okay, these people should have their own country. These people should have their own country. Like a lot of like you know, self-determination for nations. Okay. League. Of, uh, one of those was the League of Nations, kind of like a predecessor to the UN, a right. forum for countries to settle their differences without war type right. of thing. Um. But anyway, McKino he introduced a proposal to that charter that would, you know, put members on equal racial footing. Uh-huh. And this is this, this is the proposal that he made on February 13th, 1919. Quote, The equality of nations, being a basic principle of the League of Nations, the high contracting parties, which, you know, all the countries who are joining, right. agreed to accord as soon as possible to tell, as soon as possible to all alien nationals of states, members of the League, equal and just treatment in every respect, making no distinction, either in law or in fact, on account of their race or nationality, end quote. Okay. So just like everybody... Everybody who participates is on a... Yes. You have a seat and it's just as big. Which is reasonable. Japan has just as much influence Mm -hmm. as America. Yeah. Or like, you know, maybe not that necessary, but like, you know, race doesn't factor into it. Sure. Okay. Everybody's treated respectfully and... Right. Cecil proposed uh, postponing the discussion to a later date. Uh, and Wilson left for home the next day. Wow. Well, he'd been there for like a month at that point. Okay. And, or maybe not a month, but like a few weeks. 
Also, you have the 1918-19 flu pandemic going through, so like he has to you know, kind of go back home and actually lead because it's not, it's not necessarily not easily to communicate across sure. the ocean at this time. Right, so right. I don't know if tele uh, telegraph was around, but like you know, he's still the president. He needs to be signing laws and stuff. It's there's, hard to rule <laughs> I, I by telegraph. Like, getting getting back home, there's like a big old inbox of like laws sitting on the <laughs> desk. He just wow. sitting there like well in the night just. His hand hurts from signing Woodrow Wilson so many times. And you have to, in the middle of a flu pandemic, now we know it is extremely important for there to be strong leadership yeah. and a good, strong, consistent message coming from yep. the government and from healthcare officials. Yep. And if that doesn't happen, then it will yeah. be really terrible. Yeah. We know that now. Yeah. <laughs> in spades. Yep. So the most vocal opponent of the clause wasn't Wilson himself. It was actually Billy Hughes from Australia. Okay. He said, quote, no government could live for a day if it tampered with a white Australia, end quote. So, okay. like, no matter what party in Australia is in charge, if they don't support this, po- like, if they if they do not support the white Australia policy, they're gonna get ki- they're gonna be kicked out of power. They're gonna be voted out of power. Wow. So okay. I have to I have to support. I I cannot have this racial equality garbage. So yeah. Wow. Okay. Yep. So extreme racism happening in Australia at that time. Yeah. The British, they wanted an alliance with Japan, so they wanted to do this. But they had to accommodate the needs of all their dominions. So, like, Australia and New Zealand were really against it. Canada was like, eh, we're not fond of it, but... Okay. South Africa was like, I don't give a shit. Yeah. They were like, we have our own stuff to worry about. Um, The Japanese, they reintroduced the proposal in April, on April 11th of 1919, and they modified it. Uh, so it's just like just the, it's only really citing the principle of quality of nations and just treatment of their nationals. It's okay. kind of like like the most watered down language you could get. Yeah, basically they're just saying please respect us. Yeah, please treat us with respect. And several countries supported the proposal. Um, Japan, like uh, Japan, France, Italy, Brazil, China, Greece, Serbia, Czechoslovakia. There were seventeen countries at this meeting. Um, and a majority, 11 of them, voted in favor of it. Okay. And up to this point, pretty much everything had been cited, decided, decided by a majority vote. Sure. Like, the headquarters of the League of Nations. Uh, where's it going to be? Majority vote. Like, uh, so many decisions have been made just by a majority vote. Okay. Wilson was chairing this meeting. Okay. And this is where he F's up. <gasps> okay. He decides... Well, for this, we need a unanimous vote. Oh, boy. Okay. Just kind of arbitrarily. Just, just like, on this one thing? Yeah. Just, just on this basic premise of treating one another with respect? Yep. <laughs> okay. And, he, he and yeah, he cited strong objections from the British delegation. Okay. A.K.A. part of the British delegation? Yeah. But, and also, like, he had to, he was also kind of thinking of interest at home. Because Ugh. what would this mean at home for the black people in the South? Oh, yeah. Okay. And the Japanese people who live on the West Coast. Sure. And Native Americans and all sorts of yeah. racial minorities in the United States. What would that mean for them? It's like, wow, you mean that we have to give equal everybody, all the races equal respect in my own country? Hell it wasn't, no. It's not even legally binding. Ugh. It's just saying. Regardless of whether or not it's legal. I mean... <laughs> Whether or not it's legally binding, he's just being an ass at that point. Yeah. So he just decides. No, this is unanimous. Okay. That's where he f's up. Okay. 
because a clear majority, like, the Japanese were like, they were kind of like flabbergasted. They were like, well, we want the record to show that an actual majority voted for this. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, yeah, so like he, he just, and it fails. Wow. Because Wilson, because he was chairing the meeting, was like, well, we, we need a unanimous vote for this. Wow. And like Britain didn't push it too hard. So, yeah. So, and that's like, you have the smattering of all these other countries, like Japan, obviously, like France. Yeah. Italy, big players in Europe. Brazil, in South America. China. Mm-hmm. Greece, Serbia. Like, you have all these different countries all over the world wanting this. And it's basically just one man just saying, like, no. Now, if it was a situation where this was defeated in majority, I could understand why Japan would be like, we're upset, but... We'll, we'll we'll figure out another way yeah. to propose this, yeah. but the way that this was def- like basically vetoed by Wilson, just an arbitrary veto, mm-hmm. because this is still a time when they're figuring out the rules of this thing. Yeah. So basically, he's like, "Well, I'm gonna make the rules up on the fly, and I don't care whether or not this had a majority; it needs to be unanimous." Yeah. So Japan is gonna be big mad about it. Yeah, They're going to they, be they extremely... Were, I mean, honestly, it's kind of like it's offensive. They were disappointed with these, quote, so-called civilized world. And I, I think about it this way. They had spent the better part... They had spent like half a century like doing whatever they could to become more Western. More Western. Like, yeah. more Western than Western. Yeah. Like, everything. Like, like from they their, wanted from to... The, part... From their dress. Right. To, like, how they function in society. To their music. To, like, to their, their military. Yeah. Their technology. They're, how they how yeah. they govern like even like their titles because uh-huh. they introduced like baron and count yeah. and like all these different titles like that they didn't have before like and like and like no matter like what they did they were still being treated as second class citizens they like no matter what they did they'd be treated as inferior and they and they were like they had spent so long like being yep. outside of society and then they enter it and they're like no no we want to catch up. We want to be part of this. We want yep. to participate. And instead, they were like, nope. It doesn't matter how much help you gave yeah. us. Doesn't matter how much support. Doesn't matter how key of a player you were. Doesn't matter how much like us you become. You'll never be us. Yeah, exactly. So, and that really... It really led to resentment in Japan. Sure, um, yeah, of course. They, now, they did get things from the Treaty of Versailles. Uh, they got... All those German territories they took, they just kept them. They got to keep them. Um, okay. And here, I have a map of... It's not a great map, but... Like, here's Japan up here, but, like, they get these areas. They get this part of New Guinea. Uh, they get some scattered islands through here. Basically, everything the Germans had had. Okay. They got. Mm-hmm. Uh, under the under the guise of, like, League of Nations mandates. Which okay. Which were just... That's how they rationalized it. Mm-hmm. Um... The Paris Peace Conference ended up lasting until January 1920. Uh, the main Treaty of Versailles was signed in June of 1919. Okay. Um, I actually have an image. like That's kind of like the famous uh, painting from like the signing of it. Like There's Wilson, Clemenceau, Lloyd George, um, a bunch of the other delegates. Um, there were several other... Because the Treaty of Versailles was just with Germany. Uh, okay. And there were several other treaties that had to be signed with the other central mm-hmm. powers. Like, there's a treaty with Bulgaria, a treaty with Turkey, or th- so okay. on and so forth. So there, there were other things to do, but the main treaty of Versailles was, like, done by June. Okay. Um, despite taking a leading role 
the U.S. Senate ended up rejecting the treaty. Wow. And the League of Nations. <laughs> wow. Like, the, the U.S. really becomes very insular after World War One. Okay. Um, yeah. Like, it, it, and Wilson's, like, utterly shattered by this. He won the Nobel Peace Prize that year for his efforts, but he ended up having a stroke in October of 1919. and was largely incapacitated for the rest of his presidency. Wow. Um, he wanted, had wanted to run for a third term in 1920, but he was just, so, his health was so terrible he couldn't. So he left office in March 1921, and he died in February 1924. Okay. Uh, he, Billy Hughes, he continued as Prime Minister until, until February 1923, and in the Australian Parliament until his death in October of 1952. He serves in the Australian Parliament for over 50 years. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Cecil uh, was made a Viscount, another made-up title, in December 1923, moved over to the House of Lords. <laughs> um, he, he becomes like a very strong proponent of League of Nations uh, he wins the Nobel Peace Prize in 1937 okay uh, but then he dies in November 1938 okay uh, Makino he continued to serve in various government positions uh, aligning himself with very ultra-nationalist factions in Japan which uh, and he dies in January 1949 after World War II okay um, those ultra-nationalist factions they, they really begin to take root after uh, the early 1920s. Okay. Largely, a lot of the, the resentment is from this. Of course, yeah. Because there's like, well, many elements of uh, Japanese society start to see like, well, we can't get what we want through diplomacy. So we're going to have to just take it. Yeah. They won't let us have a seat so, at the table. Yeah, so, so Japan really starts to become much more insular, much more militaristic. To the point where, like, the military is basically in charge of the government from, like, the 1930s. Wow. Early 1930s onward. And, and then, like, they start taking more territory. Like, they take Manchuria. Uh-huh. Uh, just north of Korea. Uh-huh. In 1931 and create a puppet state out of it called Manchukuo. Okay. And just start to exploit it. Uh, they take vast areas of China. They begin, like, like the rape of Nanking. Like, right. That takes place at this time. Japanese occupation in China. So, like, like this far right would rightward push of japan is like a lot of the resentment starts here okay um and of course that leads to the bomb at pearl harbor world war ii in the pacific and all of that wow wow so just that one that one single decision to just be like no this needs to be unanimous creates the snowball effect where japan turns from being playing nice playing fair being supportive being diplomatic Essentially just wanting to be a part of the club. Yeah. And the, they're like, wait, the rules were never fair. Yeah. Like, this this was never... It was always going to be stacked against us. Mm. White dudes don't want us to be a part of the white dude party. Right. So, we will have to make our own party. And then they did. But it was real bad for them. Yeah. And re- I mean, really bad for the world, honestly. Yeah. I mean, the, I mean, they're the only country to be subject to nuclear attack during a war yes exactly (laughs) terrible for them terrible for japanese americans here um yeah Yeah. so wow damn that's uh some pretty heavy stuff yeah um so so woodrow wilson was not just like just racist against people in his own country he was racist against any other nationality that wasn't white Mm mm-hmm so he played ball with the Germans and the French and the British and the the British faction in Australia. Um, 
But when it came to the Japanese, that was like the hard line. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep. And over something so, so basic and like p- kind of bland as yeah. to say, just it, please respect the people that live in our yeah, country. And they even watered it down as far as they could. But they're just like, we just want to know that if we sign this, we're going to be our, the people inside of our country are going to be respected. And that was like yeah. the line in the sand that he drew. It Like he could have signed that. That that what you're saying about being legally binding, he could have signed that and still treated like in his personal life, still treated those yeah. people like garbage. Because in an official capacity, it would have been done. And heck, I mean, how many UN resolutions do the UN members ignore? Yeah, exactly. How many is the US ignored? <laughs> so many. So uh, like, it, it, even if he signed it, he didn't have to enforce it. Exactly. It it's it's really more of a it was really more of a show of good faith. Exactly. It was like, Japan is like, we just want to make sure everybody's on equal footing in terms of respect. Mm-hmm. We want to make sure that we are respected at the table and nobody is exhibiting blatant racism, mm-hmm. at least in terms of the League of Nations, while we're doing this. And Woodrow Wilson was like, Matt, nope. We can agree on this. We can agree on all other things, but this one basic mm-hmm. tenet of respecting other people, respecting your neighbors at the <sighs> table... Can't do it. Yep. Wow. Well, that's uh, it's pretty intense. Yeah. It just rolls right back down into a gigantic shit sandwich of World War Two. The sandwich yep. which we learned was from where? <laughs> the roll of sandwich. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Uh, sources for this episode. Great segue, Steve. Uh, sources <laughs> for this episode uh, were uh, John Milton Cooper Jr.'s Woodrow Wilson: A Biography from two thousand nine. Andrew Gordon's A Modern History of Japan from the Tokugawa Times to the Present from 2003. Paul Gordon Lauren's Power and Prejudice, The Politics and Diplomacy of Racial Discrimination from 1996. Margaret McMillan, Paris 1919, Six Months of Change the World from 2001. Naoko Shimazu's Japan, Race and Equality, The Racial Equality Proposal of 1919 from 1998. And Urs Mathai Zachman's Asia After Versailles, Asian Perspectives on the Paris Peace Conference and the Interwar Order, 1919-33, from 2017. Awesome. So, yeah, so Woodrow Wilson, um, something tells me this won't be the last time we talk about him. Ooh. Well, I don't have anything in mind. I just get the feeling we're going to talk about him again at some point. Yeah, we we did learn yeah. a little bit about Woodrow Wilson when, like I like I was mentioning earlier, when we went to the the Buffalo Soldiers Museum in Wilberforce. Um, I, it wasn't just that one thing too. There was something else that they mentioned. I don't remember offhand. But one of the, the that's actually one of the reasons why we, this podcast was inspired was actually from that visit because we we were there and. One of the things that I realized that what because we we visited some national areas is that a national historic park? It's a national mon uh, national monument. Historic monument. National NHM. Monument. Yeah. No, okay. Just, just, just national monument. Okay. So the um the Buffalo Soldiers Museum in Wilberforce is just is is the house and estate of Charles Young. You can go inside the house, take a little tiny tour. But outside there's a sign, and it's one that you'd see at any other national monument or national historical place or whatever. Um, and it mentions a little bit about Charles Young's life and also um, how Woodrow Wilson played a role in it. And it basically just says that Woodrow Wilson um, granted Charles Young a um, 
a, uh, what's it called? A discharge from the military. Mm -hmm. But it didn't say much else about it. And when we went inside and we got a little bit more um, context to it, you realize, no, Woodrow Wilson is a garbage piece of crap and he is a racist. But in viewing this national park and viewing the, the sign outside, I'm thinking... So much of our history has just been whitewashed to the point where... <laughs> oh, well, yeah, yeah. White, liter- whitewashed by white people. <laughs> both, both literally and figuratively to make it so that we never talk about conflict or bad things that our presence had done. So the first iteration of the idea for this podcast was kind of... Um, let's go to all these national monuments and pick out all the things that are wrong. That was like the first <laughs> yeah. idea for the podcast. Yep. But then we've, we kind of realized, like, uh, other people do the National Park thing, and they kind of point out those blatant uh, uh, oversights. Um, also, or, traveling costs a lot of money. Yeah, traveling costs <laughs> a ton of money, as I know from personal experience. Um, and it takes a lot of time, and it's hard to line up schedules and stuff. So eventually, it kind of morphed into what we have now at We Have which is times in history where, like, a singular decision created some sort of terrible snowball effect that basically effed something up really bad, which in this case, Woodrow Wilson declining such a minuscule and bare bones minimum rule in the League of Nations essentially caused Japanese participation in World War II. And it was a a very, very major part of it. I don't want to say like that's the only cause, of course. Sure, sure. Uh, But um, it was definitely... That level of resentment, it, it, it festered. Right. It festered over time. It wasn't immediate. Yeah. Because, like, you know, Japan was still part of the international order, you know, in uh, the 1920s. Like, the Washington Naval Treaty it participated in, continued to participate in the League of Nations until the 1930s. Right. So, like, it wasn't immediate, but it just festered over time. Right. It's, it's easy to forget when you talk about something historic that... Uh, we we have a tendency to look directly at events like okay this battle happened or this occupation happened or this particular party moved into this area at this time but we have a tendency to forget about feeling and the way that a nation feels about themselves and about themselves in the world and about how other nations perceive them and feel about those races mm. and feel about those nations, we have a tendency to forget about how much that plays a part. And this, I think, perfectly illustrates that exact thing is how the other nations felt about them directly disintegrated how the Japanese felt about themselves within the world. Mm-hmm. And how they're kind of burgeoning power. Like, they're getting to the point where they're a major player. They mm-hmm. want to be a major player. And they have been. They want a seat at the table. Yeah. And not like, you know, a seat at the kids' table. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and they knew, they perceived, and they had proof of how the other big players felt about them. And that feeling created resentment that turned into hate and action mm-hmm. later on. So this is a really this is a really good example of kind of like the point of this podcast is like showing how indirect actions can cause huge direct actions. Oh, so yeah. yeah, this is um Woodrow Wilson kind of indirectly inspired the whole damn thing. So it's kind of, this is kind of a and, and really the kicker is 
it wouldn't have mattered anyway because the Senate rejected the Treaty of Versailles. So he, even if he had let that in, the U.S. still would have had to like agree to it. That's, <laughs> so, that's the big kicker. So his his disagreement was really, it, by and large, it was irrelevant. For, for the United States, yeah. Well, wow. I mean, yeah. But like, yeah, it, it had no, yeah. Yeah. So if so, he had agreed to it, it's not like they would have participated anyways. Exactly. Wow. Cool. So just really small, tiny thing that he thought was completely just asinine and was like, meh, I'm not doing that. And then, or I'm going to require a majority and then, yep, this is where we're at. So anyways, I just kind of wanted to explain how Woodrow Wilson indirectly inspired this. And now we're talking about him again and we're probably not going to stop talking about him. So, (laughs) all right. Um, So cool. Do you know what we're doing for episode five? Can you give us a little blurb? You'll learn why it's not okay to behead somebody first and ask questions later. Dang. Well, that go- there goes my Sunday plans. <laughs> <laughs> so long, well, so long as you ask a question first, you can behead them afterwards. Okay. So. All right. Cool. Uh, rate and review and do all that stuff that comes with podcasting. Um, subscribe to us. Make sure you listen to my dumb ramblings and misquotings of famous movies. Um, shout out to my other podcast, Wander On, with my pod wife, Juliet. Um, The Drunken Pond, which I do production on, and Steve, our sound guy, uh, is the host of. My other YouTube project called Three Minute Movie, where I summarize and spoil movies in three minutes or less. Um, is there anything else that we do? No. No, no, not yet. (laughs) (laughs) Otherwise, we have not come up with any other projects to do yet to keep ourselves busy. Um, So, yeah. Um, That's the end of the episode. I'm Teresa. I'm Cody. And we are... We effed up. (laughs) We definitely effed up. Yeah. (laughs)